Did you watch the match? Did you pay for it? And if you did, did you get your money back? That is a question. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf, the post-Thanksgiving podcast. I hope that you all had a wonderful time wherever you were. Thanksgiving is a, uh, a great time. I was, uh, it was fun to do the Thanksgiving podcast. And it was, it was fun just to kind of review the things that we're thankful for. And hopefully you got the time to do that as well. We actually spent our time down in uh, Disneyland for the holiday with the family. And I enjoyed it. I really did. It was, it was busy. We had some busy days. But not too bad for me. The, the part I enjoy the most, honestly, about Disneyland is the lines. When you're together as a family and you have kids and we've got uh, two teenagers... When you've got teenagers, you don't get a lot of time to speak with them because they've got so much going on in their lives. But when you're in a line at Disneyland, they've got nowhere to run. So we had some time to chat and kind of reminisce and go over things. And so I was uh, oddly really grateful for the lines that we got to wait in together and, and kind of check in with the kiddos. So that was fun. It was good to be, it was good to be down there. I, act, I actually, being a technology guy as well, Disney now has their app and they have tied in the fast pass to the app. So that made life very easy. Uh, we weren't running around trying to get fast passes. You could just actually just do them right on your phone. So you'd set an alert and do another fast pass. And so it made it quite efficient. So using technology to be more efficient, kind of my thing. So I thought that was really great. And then they've also got tied in, you know, where you can, you know, all those crazy photos that you do after the rides. Well, our kids would just run forward and take a picture of it. We would put the, the picture ID into the app and it would pull down the picture right into our phone. So we've got all those in one place as well. So congratulations to Disney for embracing technology to make their uh, vacationing even better for us visitors. Great. They've, they've still got some more improvements to do, but I would say these were great steps in the right direction. And looking forward to what comes next down there. So it'd been a while since I'd been to Disneyland with my family and they'd been on a few trips without me and uh, it was good to be there with them. So I had a good time. Hopefully you did as well. And it's time now to move on to Christmas, another great time of the year. But before we got into that, before we have some other things to discuss, this is a data Monday. And so I wanted to kind of go over some data that I thought was pretty interesting. I, I was first going to get into sort of what Matt Kuchar's kind of been through, right? Since his win at Mayakoba, all his traveling, he was down in Australia and he has traveled a bunch. So I was going to get into kind of the mileage that the poor guy has traveled, but seeming that he probably tr traveled privately, maybe on a private jet, and if nothing else, at least first class, uh, maybe we wouldn't be that interested in it at all. Anyway, so I, uh, I actually pulled up Matt Kuchar's profile and I began looking at some data and, and got sort of geeking out on sort of a cut made percentage. We talk about Matt Kuchar as being so consistent and I was reading a few articles about him and, and they talk about how consistent that he's a model of consistency. And so I thought, okay, um, that's great. If that's what everybody thinks, let's take a look at what I consider to be 
how you measure consistency, and that's cuts made. I think cuts made is a great way to see how consistent somebody is. And so I kind of pulled up his, his profile on PGATour.com and started looking at it. So he's played in 428 tournaments, and he has made the cut 312 times, which is a 73% pace, 73%. So that kind of got me interested into, okay, what is others? What have others done? So instantly I went to Tiger Woods, who I think that we, I know for a long time we talked about his cuts made record and that it was just incredible. He had a, a long, long uh, stint of where he didn't miss a cut for a very long time. So he, he's played th in 346 tournaments, which I thought was hysterical. So uh, Matt Kuchar has played in 428, has played in 428 tournaments to Tiger Woods 346, so 82 more tournaments than Tiger Woods, and he has made 312 cuts to Tiger's 316. So Tiger Woods has made four more cuts than Matt Kuchar in 82 less tournaments. So kind of a cool stat there, kind of some cool data. But Tiger's, um, Tiger's pace, he's made 316 cuts of 346 total entered tournaments for a, a pace of 91%. So amazing, nine out of 10, right? Pretty amazing. So I just kind of ran through and grabbed a few other that I would be interested in. In honor of the match, I went ahead and pulled up uh, Phil Mickelson's. So he's played in 595 tournaments. He's made 498 cuts for a pace of 84%. So. Phil Mickelson, who we consider to be not as consistent as Matt Kuchar, has made the cut 10% higher than Matt Kuchar has. So who's more consistent? I, I would say that, that Phil Mickelson is, frankly. So uh, some other t totals here. Uh, Jordan Spieth at, at a clip of 83% of his tournaments made. He makes the cut 83% of the time. Ricky Fowler makes the cut 80% of the time. Rory McIlroy makes the cut 86% of the time. He's only played in 150 PGA Tour tournaments, though. I thought that was interesting. Jordan Spieth has played in two more tournaments than Rory McIlroy on the PGA Tour. Tony Finau, who is kind of a local favorite, being from Utah, a 77%. He's played in 122 tournaments and has made 94 cuts. Uh, Justin Thomas at a 78% pace, cuts made. So um, higher than Matt Kuchar, higher than Tony Finau, but not as high as Phil Mickelson or Roy McElroy or Ricky Fowler or Jordan Spieth. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then Patrick Reed was the last one I picked up just from Ryder Cup fame. Also 78%, so matching Justin Thomas at 78%. So kind of an interesting... Matt Kuchar making cuts at a 73% pace. Everybody else on this sheet that I read back makes cuts more frequently, more often than Matt Kuchar does. So I don't know where this, this idea that Matt Kuchar is extremely consistent comes from other than maybe it has to do with the money that he's made. And, and if, if that's the case, then so be it. But as far as I look as consistency goes, I base it on performance and I base it on cuts made. So Matt Kuchar at a 73% pace. So that is your um, kind of update on uh, the data for Monday. So hopefully that's interesting to somebody. It was interesting to me. 
But um, so we'll continue on to the match. Actually, you know what? I wanted to touch on one other thing real quick. Um, has hopefully everybody's had the chance chance to to read up a little bit or learn a little bit about this this uh, Asian Tour pro who just won in Japan last week, Ho Sung Choi, and he became sort of famous a little while back when he was contending in the Korean Open for a spot in the in the British Open because his swing is it looks kind of crazy his his swing looks very it's very closed his very closed stance and his swing looks very abrupt and somewhat interesting it looks like he takes the club back very shut the face very shut and then he shallows it out which means he just has kind of a two plane swing he drops it down towards the ground in his in his uh, downswing first part of his downswing and then comes in and and hits actually a pretty nice ball so I just kind of looked at his swing a little bit and the thing that's crazy about a swing is his follow-through he kind of jumps up in the air and and does some things but all of the craziness happens long after the ball's gone in fact if you look at his swing in sort of a a swing sequence where you can kind of see it broken down bit by bit his golf swing is really not that radical it's actually quite conventional other than his stance is so closed and I don't know why he's come up with such a close stance there's lots of reasons to do that one you just feel more comfortable but two maybe it helps you kind of know where the club is in your backswing it kind of kind of presets your your hip turn a little bit but it also restricts it on the way down so maybe he's, his hips were too crazy I don't know what the reasoning is behind his stance being so closed but it is but he actually when he because his stance is closed it makes his backswing look look a lot crazier than it is if you kind of look at it and again we talk about being on plane he takes the club back on the target line which is just super awesome it's a, it's a very consistent way to hit a good golf shot is start it down the target line not inside not outside but start it right on the target line and when we talk about getting all four planes of your golf swing lined up that way that's that's the first line that's very important to have it right on the target line and he does a, a great job with it it's just that his stance is so closed it looks crazy ridiculous then he takes it up to the top he shallows it out and comes back in so it's kind of a two-plane swing move which I would argue is less consistent just because there's more moving parts and that how far you drop that club every time will vary I, I prefer to kind of keep it on the same plane up and down through again just to remove the variability out of the variance out of the golf swing to make it as simple as possible for us amateurs those pros have way more time to practice than we do so it goes into a two-plane swing and then kind of comes through well when his his impact position is impeccable it really looks fantastic and then even through his follow-through as the club reaches parallel on the on the follow-through he is in still a very conventional position and then all craziness starts. He jumps off the ground and does a crazy thing. De definitely go and, and search out uh, Ho Sung Choi's swing. And his name is spelled H-O-S-U-N-G. His last name is Choi, C-H-O-I. Just go look him up on YouTube and kind of take a look at some of his swing uh, sequences because they do definitely look crazy, but uh, they're really not. When you break it down to the fundamental, he's a very solid swinger of the golf club. He just has some idiosyncrasies that are his own, but he's learned to play with them and, and more power to him. He's now won a tournament 
in Japan on the Asian tour, which um, I don't know if that qualifies him for the British Open or not, but it does a lot of good things for him. So uh, very interesting. He got started in golf late in his 20s. He started working for kind of a high-end uh, club, apparently in Seoul, Korea, and then just decided that that was going to be his thing. Golf was his passion, and he's worked on it and has developed uh, a swing that works, that wins tournaments now. So congratulations to him. I think it's fascinating to watch, but, but his fundamentals are solid. You just cannot, cannot say enough about his fun fundamentals because they are totally solid. So anyway, just kind of a cool thing that I saw there and definitely would encourage people to go look at his swing. And swing your swing, right? right? Isn't that what Arnold Palmer always told us? Is just swing your swing, and he definitely does. But he's very sound. He has learned the fundamentals and sticks with them. Okay, on to the match. I would like to know what everybody thought about it. Um, I have read a lot about it, and there's a lot of opinions that it failed, that it was okay, that it wasn't okay. Obviously, there was some technological issues with the uh, streaming. I guess uh, the Bleacher Report had some trouble. Turner Broadcasting had some troubles. I think everybody is going to get their money refunded back. So I don't know how that affects the $9 million purse, but it's got to, right? If you're not bringing in the revenue, how does Phil walk away with that $9 million bucks? So I don't know how that affects the take in the end. As far as the golf goes, I don't know, it was match play. I have heard a lot about Shadow Creek um, being somebody, I went to UNLV, did my undergrad there. It was always a, a course that everybody wanted to see and play on. We were told that they moved more dirt to make that course than they did to make Hoover Dam, right? That was kind of the story behind it. It used to be out in the middle of the sticks as you're driving in on I-15 from the north. It was just out in the sticks and you could tell that it was the course there because it was surrounded by pine trees. It was just like this weird ridge surrounded by pine trees and you knew that down in that hole was Shadow Creek. And when it was built, it was supposed to be sort of the premier place to play. They brought in trees that were like 50 years old. So like day one, when they opened up the course, it played like a very mature course that had been around for 50 years. Uh, you couldn't see one hole from the next, very limited play. You had to be kind of a high roller at, um, I think it was the Mirage when it opened up, Steve Wynn's. So Steve Wynn kind of built that out and it had to be a high roller, there was very few, you know, a couple foursomes I think would go out. At one time they were advertising for, you know, playing caddies to go out and you could, you could make really, really good money out there just uh, going with one group once or twice a week. So those were kind of the things that we heard about when we were in Vegas, but it's supposed to be incredible condition all the time. And uh, it definitely looked it, like on TV, it definitely looked like a very mature course that's been around for a very long time. But I, I heard that some of the best parts of the, the, the show, or at least read that the people liked the commentary the best. People were really discouraged that there wasn't a lot of betting going on. We found out later that the PGR, PGA Tour kind of came in and told them to kind of keep the betting to the, a minimum, which I found interesting because that was kind of how it was pitched. It was sort of pitched to bring in a lot of the high roller gambler types. And I imagine there was probably people sitting all over in the sports books in Vegas betting hole by hole. Right, the ones that were really into gambling were probably having a great time um, with the uh, w with the whole match. Um, I guess the ban the banter wasn't a lot, but I mean Tiger Woods not known for a lot of banter. 
it just seemed like um, it, it wasn't quite the right fit yet. They didn't quite have the mix right. But this was kind of a first, right? I mean, this was something that was this pay-per-view thing was kind of new to golf. So to throw it all out right now and say that it wasn't a success is, I think, probably premature. I think that they'll go and retool and they'll come back with something that's a little more interesting. And that's all you can do. When you put out something new like this, any new product, any new something that you try, you get it the best you can and you push it out with hopes that it'll work out. But there's no way to know until the public kind of gives you their feedback. So I think they take this, everything that everybody's saying about it, they process it and they'll, they'll come out with a better product next time. And uh, it will be more compelling golf. So we'll see how that goes. I definitely don't think that's the last time we'll, we'll see pay-per-view golf for sure. They'll come up with something a little more interesting. Personally, we hear so much about Phil Mickelson and these little team matches that he puts together at these tournaments when he kind of takes out his buddies and usually they bring in uh, somebody new. And if it's a Ryder Cup year, they seem to bring in a lot of the potential Ryder Cup players to come in and kind of be part of the group. That seems to be where it's really fun and cool to kind of see, you know, that go on. So I would really like to see that happen. I would really like to see like Phil get with Ricky Fowler against Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, for example, and, and have the betting going on and just kind of let it go and literally let us into what that looks like. What do those matches look like? What's the banter that goes on? What really happens? We've heard so much about it over the years. I would love to see that happen. I would just love to be a fly on the wall and see how one of those Phil Mickelson and the guys matches sort of plays out. I think it would be fascinating golf. I think that there would be a lot of side bets. I'd like the, the PGA to sort of stay out of it. I'm not, I'm not a gambling guy. I don't gamble a lot. I don't like the games and things that are played, but I do like the psychology behind what's going on there. I do like it when people try to simulate stressful situations to sort of put some, you know, put some real stress on their game to see how it holds up. So seeing these, you know, these, these teams in these sports and watching them sort of bet and put extra pressure on themselves to see how they react and see how their games hold up, I think would be fascinating. It would be really, really cool to see. And with all the cool technology, and again, here we go, with all the cool technology that we have available to us, they had some of, some of the drones going over so you could see sort of some putts and I think that that would be really fun to watch, that they could really come up with a good product to, to see that happen, to, to see how this match would sort of evolve and see what Phil Mickelson and those guys are talking about when they get out and play their matches. It would probably add a very interesting aspect to golf, and it may change how we, the public, go out and play on Saturdays. When we saw how Phil and the guys do it, we might change how we do it when we go out, and it might make our Saturday matches and our Saturday you know, groups more interesting when we could see how those guys do it. They do it so much and they do it so often and they have to kind of keep the game so interesting that I'll bet they've come up with all kinds of things that we don't know about that would be fun to try out and practice and work on that might make our games better because we could put that additional stress on our games. So that's kind of my my thing. I, I know that there was a, a big pushback on kind of the hokey finish in the playoff. They set up some sort of a you know, a 93-yard hole. 93-yard um, shots are very easy for pros like Phil and Tiger. But 93-yard shots, when I'm in a scramble, um, I, I play with 
I play with some guys that would rather have 150 yards in than anything less than 100. So, um, yeah, easy for them and maybe kind of hokey, but you stick anybody else, any amateur with a 93-yard less than full wedge into a green, and you're going to see a far different outcome than what we saw with Tiger and, and Phil. But uh, they're, they're masterful. Uh, Phil definitely came across as the showman. Tiger kind of realizing, I think, that this is a way to promote golf and grow golf. And I think he, he senses his place in history and senses that, you know, without him, these types of things probably aren't going to take off. And because he has now reestablished himself as such a force in golf that he took that responsibility seriously and he showed up. But it was definitely obvious that he wasn't as into it as Phil was. And, and the money's not really a motivation for really either of them anymore. It's more the competition, but it just never sort of materialized. So whatever that means, whatever that takes to get that better, then it'll be fun to watch uh, that go about it. Um, what did we learn from all this? I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot to learn other than it needs to be tweaked. It needs to be different. Um, I do think that they'll use technology to make it more interesting. I would really love to have... Um, TrackMan or those types of technology on all the holes where we can really kind of break down everything they're doing from swing speed to to all of it. It would be so fun in a situation like that to get all the data back on every single one of their swings. How that's possible, I don't know. I mean, running a TrackMan around and setting it up before every shot, I know is not really feasible. But it would be really cool if we could do a better job of being more transparent in what's actually going on. I think that would help us learn a lot, a lot more on what it goes into any one of these shots, their swing speeds, their in to outs, their ball spin, um, their, their club head speed, ball speed, all of that. If we had all that information to process, it would make it easier for us to get better at understanding which data is most important to look at. And then when we had access to sort of these flight, you know, these, these monitors, um, that we would have a, a better understanding of what all those numbers mean. Right now, we have limited access to TrackMan and to FlightScope, and, and so those launch monitors and all those numbers to us don't mean a whole lot. But if we had more access to watch the players use those numbers, I think that that would get us learning what those numbers mean and how important they are and, and why we need to pay attention to them, and that might help the game immensely. So hopefully the, the tour does a better job of letting us in to some of those numbers that the tour players are willing to let sort of that technology kind of help grow the game because I think it will. Once we can learn, once we have more accurate feedback and we can analyze what the feedback means and what we know what it means and, and how it's important, our games will get better. And as our games get better, this game will grow. And as we are able to more accurately share with one another what's really going on, this game will grow. So that's a way that the tour can take technology and help us to assimilate all this information and improve our game. So I hope they do that. I hope the next iteration we have of a match, whatever it may be, I hope it's more teams and I hope that we have availability to more of this data. That will definitely help us get better. So sort of my take on a data Monday. Grateful to be back from Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're all back and getting settled back in for a wonderful Christmas holiday. There's going to be a lot of interesting sort of golf um, tournaments and off-season stuff going on, so we'll try to stay into it and uh, get you more information as we can. But uh, until we figure something else out, until next time, remember, 
Better data always means better golf, and hopefully with the next match, we will get better data. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com, and we'll see you on the next episode.